City Life Church, good morning and welcome to our online service. So grateful that you've come. I love and I look forward to sitting here in person, our City Life Betas now, but we are never going to let go of ministering to all of you online. That for whatever reason you choose to be online for today, we support that. We're, we love you. We are one church and we are, will not stop ministering to our whole body. But today we have a lot to get to, so I just want to jump in. I also keep in mind about the elections this week, and so we pray that God's will will be done in every season. But, but let's get into our word for today. I was reading this article that just so fascinated me this week, and as I was reading, I'm like, wow, this, this is what our passage is on today in a weird way, but I have to share this. I, I have to talk about this. See, I was reading about how in 1991, the brand I Can't Believe It's Not Butter planned their UK invasion. They, I Can't Believe It's Not Butter wanted to take the British, the not just British, but the UK's market by storm. And they wanted their product to be making tons and tons of money. But all of a sudden, days before their marketing campaign kicked in, they were hit with a, with a legal action, and it was because of this. Uh, this, is, this is what the article I was reading said, and I, this says, it quotes, due to an unresolved issue surrounding the legality of the word butter in the brand name. So the butter community in the UK, something that I never thought I went to seminary to say, the butter community in the UK was just so furious that they had the word butter in a product that wasn't butter and that they came at them with legal action and their advertising campaign was banned for momentarily banned. I also unlocked this gem out of the article. Keep in mind, somebody was paid to write this. A serious writer wrote this and was paid to do it. This is much better written than anything that I could do, but just... I just find that hilarious. The article said, the Cow World campaign, which is what their campaign was called, was developed against this brief. The TV ads broke the mold by using spitted, spitting image cows. It encroached on butter's sacred turf by using dairy symbols, forbidden territory for non-butter spreads. This in itself was an invitation to controversy. You see, the butter, comp the butter community in the UK were so offended. Realistically, I know this is about money, but they were so offended that this margarine company was coming here and saying, using the word butter in their title, and they had nothing to do with butter. And, butter, and they said, okay, we got to lawyer up because this isn't right. They're even using our sacred images. They're encroaching on what makes us special. And so let's sue them so that they can't do this. And it didn't work because their ad campaign went out and I can't believe it is not butter. Uh, is every year grew in success and grew in profitability in the UK. And so much so that I have to tell you these other products that came out in response to I can't believe it's not butter because I would never be able to forgive myself as your pastor if I didn't read some of these brand names. Products that came out after this were Butterlicious, Butter me up. You'll mutter it's butter. Don't flutter with butter. You'd butter believe. 
you'll never believe it believe it or not these were real products that came out i just found that hilarious but in this this is this is what i want us to take out out of all that ridiculousness let's mine something out here that there was this community of people who were saying you know what there is absolutely no substitute for butter and so don't use butter on this fake thing because it has nothing to do with us don't even use our images don't even use what makes us special and church city life this is what we are going to be talking about today with the spiritual gifts in first corinthians 13. first corinthians 13 has this one idea at the heart of it and it's that there is no substitute in all of the world to god's agape love search wherever you want go wherever you want try this try that try and find it here try and find it in that but there is nothing that the world possesses quite like God's agape love. And so today is our fourth sermon on the spiritual gifts. And every week we've come back, I've, when we've tried to do this as humbly as possible and said, you know what, God, we want to learn about the spiritual gifts because we feel like you're calling us to not just believe in you in our hearts and in our community, but to do things, to be active, to live out our faith and to have it be this picture of this spirit-empowered life that scripture shows us. And every week we've returned to the potter's wheel, like I said last week. We've put our definition on the table and we said, God, grow this, change this, make this better, make this whole. Please use it to speak in my life, to teach me how to live and how to practice these spiritual gifts to build up the faith of other people. And we've done something, we've tried to do something that most people are afraid to do and most people avoid to do when it comes to the spiritual gift. And that's let scripture define what it is. So many of us are afraid or have been hurt or are afraid of the Holy Spirit and so we either shut ourselves off or we put such rigid strong walls around it that it never really materializes in our life. And so we're saying, look, Holy Spirit, Lord, please guide us. What are these spiritual gifts? How do we live in them? How do we see all these things that we see happen in scripture? How does that happen here? We even hear stories about this happening in other parts of the world, but we don't hear them here. So Lord, how can we as a community be a group of people who so believe in you and live lives like you did? You told us, you promised us that we would do things like you did. How do we do it? And so this is our, our working definition. This is what we enter this Sunday with this understanding. A spiritual gift is any action that manifests the Holy Spirit in order to build up the faith of another. Again, the, whole, the spiritual gifts are any action. Remember, it's not a list. There's no systemic list to go through. I have this one, I have this one, but no. It's any action, potentially. And that it's also an action. It's a verb. It's not just thoughts in your head. But it's something that even in prayer, you're responding and going after and attacking and go, living on the offensive, uh, not offensive, but yeah, offensive, not offensive, offensive and, and practicing your faith out, asking God for help. But a spiritual gift is any action that manifests the Holy Spirit in order to build up the faith of another. That when we do these things, it's, it's, not like the Holy Spirit is there. He is there. He's working through you. He's supernaturally charging that environment, charging whatever it is that you is happening. 
and he's there and we manifest him and that the purpose of them are to build up the faith generate faith in someone else and so anything that we do can potentially be a spiritual gift if the outcome of it is the building up of someone's faith last week we looked at first corinthians 12 and we we flesh out this idea of manifestation right that our privilege is that we get to manifest and work this out and then when we're doing this the holy spirit is there he's in us he's in the environment he's in the other person and we're all doing something together that it is not just like this highly emotional moment though all of them well though they usually seem to be it's not just like oh it seems like he's here and so let's pretend no but that he's actually there and that it's something special that we would have the privilege to do that that should never be something that we just callously say so every time we pray for healing the holy spirit is there and if healing comes it's because he's there and he's touching the, that person's body and making it whole or if we're speaking in tongues it's because you're getting special revelation about these words that honor jesus and bring him glory and all of this is so special and that it's our privilege to get to do these things with the Lord. But today we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the next chapter. The largest portion of the spiritual gifts in Scripture is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. And I pray that as we enter into today's word that, we, that the Lord orients, reorients our understanding of this chapter and to allow it to continue to speak and mold our understanding and give our congregation courage to say, you know what, I want these things, I want these gifts, and so let me go and try start practicing them, for most of us, honestly, for the first time. And so let me pray before we go into the reading of God's Word. Let me pray so that we do this together in unity so that this sermon does what the Holy Spirit has put on my heart to do, that it's His words and not just me rambling and so please pray with me. Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time. I invite you into our homes, into our hearts, that anyone watching this, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would move us, that you would do a mighty work in us, that you would grow us up and mature us. Lord, we believe that you're calling City Life to be a church in Jersey City that manifests you, that prays in faith, that goes after difficult things, that loves you, pursues you, and everything that you call us to. And one of those things are the spiritual gifts. And so, Lord, equip us, empower us, give us insight, give us revelation, give us courage to go after this as a community, to live lives that, that show the world that we have this God who can do stuff in this world, who is omnipotent, omnipower omnipresent. Lord, we love you so much. We give you all of our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, guide us right now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
John, thank you so much for reading our scripture for us this week. I'm so grateful that we can all see your face. You look more handsome today than ever before, and so I'm very grateful. And in church, before we, I prayed, I, I said that I hope that we today reorient our understanding of this passage because I know a bit of, uh, some of us come in a bit confused as to why we're here, how this applies. And really, I hope that we realize today, I don't think, I think that 90% of Christians don't realize that the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is of spiritual gifts and the church body. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with using it to talk about uh, weddings or marriage. It fits. It's talking about God's sacrificial agape love, and so it's great. It fits. Uh, sometimes it seems like a wedding doesn't count unless 1 Corinthians 13 is read. But really the context, the context of what Paul was writing about here are the spiritual gifts and living them out in community, in the body, with one another. This is at the heart of what Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That there is no substitute in a Christian life for God's agape love. That there's nothing in this world, there's nothing that we know, there's nothing that we can produce there's nowhere that we can find something better. There's no other avenue of searching that will bring us to God's love. And that there's no substitute in our life for God's agape love. God's agape love is what makes the spiritual gifts so lovely. And so let's turn to our first point today and we have to talk about no substitute. Like every week, I just wish we had so much more time to really digest and dive into all of this because there's so much richness here for our lives that have practical implications. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 breaks up into three really neatly, neatly packed segments. And the first one I call no substitute because it's what it keeps saying over and over again. The first three verses here, Paul's saying, hey, if you have tongues of men and angels but have not love, you're a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. You're annoying. You're never hitting the right tone. You can't play music in the orchestra. You can't play music with other people. You're just always loud and not hitting the right marks. In, in Brooklyn, you can find a band for everything. There's some hipster band for everything, but I, I dare you to find me some gong or cymbal band out there. Uh, maybe there even exists one because it's Brooklyn, but who knows? But no, it's because it's hard to make this beautiful, this clanging this gong it's just hard to make it sound beautiful with with all the different types of music verse 2 here it, it's so powerful it says that if you have all prophetic power and understand all mysteries and have all you know everything you have all knowledge and a faith and faith to remove mountains all three critical super important things things that we should dedicate our lives to as believers but if you have all of this here Paul's even saying it's not like you're pretending or you know he's saying if you actually have this if you can prophesy if you have understanding and all knowledge and if you have so much faith that you can remove mountains and if you can actually honestly do all of those but if you don't have love I am nothing here, he, he does not hold back his punch. He's not even like, you know what, you're pretty good or you're halfway there. But no, he says, you, I am nothing. Without love, I am nothing. I love how he highlights here that even if you can do all of these things, if it's really a part of your life, but if you don't have love, it's still nothing. The equation here is limitless power, knowledge, 
and faith. And if you have all of those things, if those are all adding to one another, but if you're still missing love, you have nothing. That is God's agape love that makes any of this worthful or beautiful or lovely or important or has even any power. It's this love, this agape love here that makes it all work. Here, the, one of the pillars that we're reaching here is that it's always about the giver of the gifts and never the gifts. Because the giver of the gifts, we're told in First John, is love. And so if we don't have this love, we don't have anything of value. So even if you use your gifts, but if you forget about the giver, if you forget about love for the other person, if it's not about bringing faith, dignity, respect into that person's life, then it's worthless. It's meaningless. And verse 13 takes it up a notch too. He says, even if I give away everything that I have, think of it, if you give away everything, that's just not some metaphor. If you give up everything, and you, if you also give up the last thing you could ever give up, if you even give up your life to be burned, if you give up your body to be burned, but if you have not love, you gain nothing. That without agape love, you, can't, you don't even gain love when you give the ultimate thing you can give, which is your body. All of this speaks to the reality that really, I, I believe, I'm calling it for this week, the I can't believe it's not butter principle, that there is no substitute in this world, in this life, to God's agape love. Nothing in this world, nothing that we can do, all of the good that if you culminate, put all the good things into one thing, none of it can hold up again a candle to God's agape love. Uh, everything that we could muster and do and all the sacrifice and all, everything, 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 and there's still no substitute to God's agape love because without his love, there is nothing. Agape love is the ingredient that makes everything lovely. I love that. It's the ingredient that makes everything lovely. And so we talked about agape love already recently, but I want to talk about it again because if we're going to talk about it, we have to have a fresh understanding of what it is. And agape love is this. It's that you seek the welfare, the well-being of people other than yourself. And that it's usually at your own cost. And that it's always without exception, expectation of getting something in return. It's that you love God. You love God for being God. You love Jesus. And his, his love causes you to go out and live self-sacrificially at your cost with no return. And say, Jesus, you know what? It was worth it because I got to live you out. Then there's no substitute in all of this life for that. Last week I talked about how when we see the presence of the gifts in our lives, when we see people that are successful in doing it, we assume, we automatically might assume that, oh, they get it. They really know they have the truth. They've unlocked something special. But we learn in scripture here that that's not always the case. If agape love isn't in there, if it isn't in someone's life, it isn't in someone's story, if it does not changing who they are, then they're missing the most important ingredient. You know, I, I've over the years I've talked to pastors 
And I've talked to them, I've asked them, you know, when is, when is ministry the hardest? When is it lonely? When is it um, difficult at times? And often the answer I would get back is like, when things are going really well, it's often difficult. I often feel the most lonely. I often mess up the most. And so City Life, if we just get it into our minds now over and over and over again, that we love the giver of the gifts and not just the gifts. The gifts alone do not prove that we really know him, that we're following him, or that we're empowered by him in, in all the right ways. And, and here's why. Here's why that is so important. Here, we're going into our point two for today that I've been calling the gifts are costly. Verse four to seven highlight this beautifully and I love what the Holy Spirit was doing through Paul in this section. Here he starts talking about what love is, this agape love. And the word here is agape. It's this special sacrificial love that cares for others. It cares for God more than you do yourself at cost to you and with no expectancy of return. And here Paul starts talking about, he talks about five things that love doesn't do. And then six things that love does. The things that love don't, doesn't do, it doesn't boast or envy. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It isn't irritable or resentful. And it doesn't, rejo and it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. I, I, I love that. all of these self-centered things. You know what? God's agape love doesn't do any of these things. It's not envy. If you're envious, then your love needs to get perfected. You need to push a little harder. You need to do something to understand or live it out a little bit better. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't do all of these things. You know what agape love really does? You know how you can check if you really understand or living out? You'll never be perfect, but do, are you living towards these things? Does agape love in you, is it patient? does it lead you to be patient and kind? Do you rejoice in the truth? Do you bear all things, meaning do you last? Do you not give up? Do you keep it tight to you and don't give up on it? Does it believe all things? When things get difficult, does it believe and trust and hope in good things? Does it hope all things? Does it endure all things? And I love this here because Paul is reminding us, the Holy Spirit here is reminding us that the gifts come at a cost. We can't, we can't, we no longer can live our lives being self-centered. You can't live your life just for you. When you're making your decisions, you can't just think about yourself, but you have to think about others. You have to think about God. See, this is in the next section, really the next batch of verses here but I love how he talks about being a kid he's like you know what the spiritual gifts caused me to not be able to live like a kid anymore to make decisions that are only based on me what I want the return it's not based on all those things that if you want the Holy if you want the Holy Spirit to give you an empowered life that you need to put some things aside you need to walk away from things that you've done your whole life or that come naturally to you and you have to start actually doing these things that say no to yourself that you have to bear all things, you have to believe all things, hope all things, and this is the standard that we hold ourselves to. We'll never be perfect, but this is what we live for. And when we see that our life doesn't match up, we say, okay, Lord, please help me do this because I want to do things. The first week of our, of our series on this, I said the problem, you know what? The problem is never about the availability of the gifts. 
it's never that is there we need to know the riddle or some formula we need to know how to get to god and trick him into doing what no it's never about that you know why because even when two of us are gathered the holy spirit is there and so the problem is never availability the problem always has to do with are we willing to pay the cost are we willing to be that dedicated are we willing to give up the cost and say lord i I want to live the life that you're calling me to. I'm going to say no to myself here. Or I really don't want to go pray for that person. But I'm going to listen to you here. Are we willing to look foolish for the Lord? To make mistakes? And to go after faithful risks? To look stupid at times? To take a chance? To serve someone in a way that I don't want to or that I wanted to only serve me? Or do something that might have repercussions on my bank account or the status that I want. See, the problem with the spiritual gifts is never the availability, again, but it's about our commitment to them, our commitment to living the life all the way that God has called us to do. See, I think often we might think that we want to mature in Christ, but really what our lives show is that we have a line that we're not willing to cross. Or, Lord, I can do that for this person, but I don't want to do it for them. You know, we see that even in marriages in the Christian world. See, unfortunately, not all marriages are willing to give up of themselves as much as they need to. And our relationship with the church, the church, and also other believers, we're not always willing to deny ourselves and go after Christ. And uh, especially harmful in our relationship with non-believers, we're not willing to take that chance to go out and pray for them, to do this. It, oh, Holy Spirit, I really feel you calling me to do this, but I just can't do that. I, Lord, I can't do that. See, we have to ask ourselves as a church if we're willing to go after the spiritual gifts in the first place. If we're willing to be kind to other people. If we're willing to say, put down our envy and our boasting, or when we're rude or when we're arrogant, and say, no, Lord, please change me, correct me, because I want to bear all things. I want to rejoice in the truth. I want to believe in all things. I want to hope all things. I want to endure all things, and I want to do it more than just wanting to do it, but I actually want to see that become a truth in my life. I want to see that be something that I live towards. And you know why we do all this? It has to do with these last couple of verses. I've been calling this section, What Lasts? Remember, we started this sermon series with five pillars, five things that we were going to investigate in this time. We haven't explicitly mentioned two, and we'll get one of those today and the other one next week. And the one, remember, I want to remind you of these pillars. One is, what is in your hand? From faith to reach faith. When we serve, the gifts emerge. Spiritual gifts are never owned, and it's about the giver of the gifts and not the gifts. The one I want to talk about today and highlight really in this last section here is that the spiritual gifts are never owned, and we're told, right, a lot of this theology is built into these verses here, from verse 8 to the end in 13. And you know why, why we never own the gifts? It's because one day they will end. And it is, we're told here very clearly. 
He says, starts here, love never ends. You know what? Prophecies, they will. Tongues, speaking in tongues that is so divis divisive in the church that we as people use to hurt one another and to shout at one another and to say you're not a real believer or not, you know, they'll end. It's not the ultimate thing. You know why? Because there will come one day when they never exist. Knowledge, you know what? Knowledge is going to pass away. One day you won't need to have all this knowledge. Not because knowledge isn't important, but this is why. One day all of these things will disappear. And it's because of this. This is one thing that we're adding to our definition. Because the first purpose of the spiritual gifts are to point people to Jesus. One day all of these will fade away. Here again, prophecies, knowledge, tongue. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fade away. You know why? Because we will never need to be pointed to Jesus again. Because we could look, turn up our heads and see him right there. So we won't need to be pointed to him. We'll have him. We'll live with him. We'll be in his kingdom. We'll be made new. See, I love how he talks about this in verse 12. Verse 12 to me is just so beautiful. It says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I love this so much because there's context, there's background to this. Corinth, the city that this was written to, the Christians in, in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, was known for one, they were known for a lot, but one thing that they were known for, this city, was that they made excellent mirrors, well, excellent to their standards, excellent mirrors. And how they did this was that they polished metal. But if you have looked at yourself in something that's really shiny and metal or a trophy or something engraved and you, you look up to it, you see a good picture, but it's always distorted. There's you can never, it's not, no polished metal, well, it's very difficult at least, looks as good as a mirror. And especially in the ancient world this was true, that their mirrors were so, <laughs> they were probably some of the best that you could get, but it was just, you still saw yourself dimly, you still you saw yourself distorted. And Paul knew that, he's like, oh, Corinthians, you guys are so proud of your mirrors, right? Look into it, all you see is your image dimly, and there's some distortion. And I love how Paul turns that here. He's saying to the whole church, you know what? Living now is like living with the mirrors that you guys love. You see yourself pretty good, but it's not that clear and it's a little distorted. But one day when Christ comes, when we live with him and in his kingdom, it's like you'll see for the, in color for the first time. It's like you've never really lived before or experienced the beauty of life. No, then we'll really see and we'll really understand We'll really know what was really important. We'll, really, we'll be able to speak in a new way. And so all of these things, this life is like, it's like this dimly lit mirror. And all these gifts, you know what? They're going to come. They're great for now. They're what the Holy Spirit has. But Christ is so much better. Christ is the real gift. Christ is what we're really after. It's like, I, I'm, some of us aren't old enough to remember TV, in our church context at least, TV before HD, but it's like a, before HD, and then when Christ comes, it's like we're going to live in HD. And so we take this, and this is what I really want us to bring into our definition of the spiritual gifts. How does this all work together? 
And so here's what I'm proposing to us. This is our definition, version number four, of a spiritual gift. And it's changing a little bit. It says this. A spiritual gift is any action that points people to Jesus by manifesting the Holy Spirit in order to build up the faith of another and show them agape love. This is what I think our whole study has been pointing us towards in the direction. That the spiritual gifts are great, we're called to live in them, but you know what their main purpose, you know what they're really supposed to do? Point people to Jesus. That you go to this believer and say, you know what, let me point you to Jesus somehow. Let me pray for you. Let me speak with you. Holy Spirit, give me a word for them. Give me something that I might, I should not know on my own. To build them up. To generate faith in them. To bring them closer to you. To encourage them. And that's what the spiritual gift does. And so let's conclude this all today. Sometimes I'm not really sure that the church, the big church, our church, me, you, I'm not always convinced that the church is as passionate about living Holy Spirit-empowered lives as even the butter community in 1991 was against, I can't believe it's not butter. So I'm not always convinced. I think that we want to want it. But sometimes I really wonder, do we really want it? Are we willing to give up the cost? Do we really want to help one another? Do we really want to know Christ and be known like our passage says here? And so we have to realize in our study today, in this sermon series, that there is no substitute in this world to God's agape love. It's what caused Christ, who was love, to come down here, to humble himself, to give himself of himself, to be known by us so that he could be fully known and then come and pay the price and die tasting death. It's agape love is what drove him to do that in the first place. Agape love is what made the gospel possible. And then to realize that it comes at a cost. City Life, if we want to be a church community that is infused with the Holy Spirit, that prays for people and they get better, who has words and who has visions and who is charging Jersey City for Jesus and making a mark, making the city better, bringing people to Christ, are we willing as a community to pay the price, to say no to ourselves, to dedicate ourselves to the Lord and to one another, to sacrifice for Him and one another? Are we willing to pay the price? But the good news in all of this is that all these things are going to fade, right? All the gifts, one day we won't have them. But the one thing that will never fade is love. The one day we won't need to have something to point us to Jesus. I'll look up and I'll see him for myself. I'll talk to him for myself. I will, be, I will have a new body because of what he did for me. I will have life and hope. I'll never shed a tear again because I'm going to be in his presence. I'm going to live in his kingdom. And that's, a be <laughs> that's everything. So the spiritual gifts are how we go after that for one another here today. Again, our definition is that 
A spiritual gift is any action that points people to Jesus by manifesting the Holy Spirit in order to build up the faith of another and show them agape love. City life, we need to be about God's agape love. We need to be about pointing this city, everyone in it, believers and non, to Jesus. And so if we're willing and if we go after it and if we really do it and dedicate ourselves to do this, then we're going to see wonderful things. We're going to see miracles happen all the time. And so today, because this is a beta Sunday, we have one joint call together. The link will be in the, in the chat here on the bottom. And so join us. Let's process through our new definition. Let's process through what about the spiritual gifts is God calling us to dedicate ourselves to, to live out, to point others to him. City Life, we love you. I love you so much. Can't wait for us to be together. We'll see each other soon. Love you. City Life Church, here are prompt questions for the morning. Prompt question number one. What stands out to you in our new definition of the spiritual gifts? Prompt question number two. How is the church called to live out God's agape love to the world? Prompt question number three. How is your understanding of the spiritual gifts changing the further we go into this series? All right, church, join us on this call. Want to process, talk, just catch up, see you. Can't wait for us all to be together again. Love you, and I'll see, talk to you soon.